Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. changed good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to indoor air quality radio iaq radio for friday may 6th 2011 this week episode 207 comes to you from studio c in beautiful mckees rocks pennsylvania my name is radio joe hughes and here with me in the studio is the z-man cliff zlotnick it's always fun to do the show with you joe good day cliff at the controls is our engineer austin stone cold novak Today's segments include the IAQ Radio trivia question. We've got an interview with an international figure, Dr. Mikhail Krzyzanowski, halftime, and then the roundup with our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow. Check out our new Facebook page at IAQ Radio Program. We've been updating and adding a blog to the radio website Every week after the show, check us out at www.iaqradio.com. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our marquee sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfacts.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right. To contact the show, you just follow the link on the show invitation or go to our website, iaqradio.com. And follow the link that says go to the show. You can also get the show from iTunes or download the show from that same link that says go to the show on iaqradio.com. And, of course, you can stream it after the show live from our website. Don't forget we also have the ABIH Certification Maintenance Points, IICRC Continuing Education Credits, and ACAC Renewal Credits. Just email me and request a quiz. My email is joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. We 
win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Email it to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, just text in your answer. Congratulations. <laughs> to Alan Welsh in Covington, Washington, for answering last week's trivia question, identifying Zhang Heng as the inventor and the dragon jar as his ingenious invention that detected an earthquake in February of 138 AD. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, May 6, 2011 has been sponsored by Cochrane & Associates, the indoor air quality's dedicated marketing and public relations firm. Now for this week's trivia question. The World Health Organization is one of the original agencies and the health arm of what international organization? Back to you, Joe. Okay, thank you, Cliff. Today's guest is Dr. Mikhail Krizanowski, is the head of the Bonn Office of the World Health Organization's European Center for Environment and Health. They belong to the World Health Organization's regional office for Europe. He's also the program manager, living and work environments, and his technical work focused on preparation of scientific evidence on health impacts of environmental hazards, in particular of air pollution. The global update of the World Health Organization's air quality guidelines is one of the products of his team. He is currently coordinating the development of the World Health Organization's guidelines on indoor air quality and has been a coordinator of a series of World Health Organization projects developing European environment and health information system as well as a project of developing health-relevant indicators on climate change. Before joining the World Health Organization in 1991, Dr. Krasnowski conducted epidemiological research on the health aspects of air pollution and other environmental factors in Poland, the United States, and France. He is the author of more than 200 scientific publications. He's got a master's in science from physics from the Warsaw University and a doctorate in science and PhD in epidemiology from the National Institute of Hygiene in Warsaw, Poland. We've got some intro music for the doctor. Dr. Kurzanowski, do we have you on the phone? Yes. Uh, good morning, good afternoon from here. Welcome. Good day, and thanks for joining us in the early evening in Bonn. We, uh, I've got a quick, I want to do a little background on the World Health Organization. Uh, when was the World Health Organization formed, and, and what do they do? Well, the organization was formally established back in 1948, precisely on the 7th of April 1948, when the constitution of WHO was created and agreed by the member states to, to establishing the main worldwide health organization uh, after the Second World War. 
Who pays for the activities of, of the World Health Organization? How big of a, an organization is it? Well, the organization uh, is is organization of member states. Uh, 192 member states uh, uh, compose the organization. Uh, the secretariat, the World Health Organization per se, is uh, is a set of offices uh, spread uh, all over the world, with the headquarters located in uh, Geneva, in Switzerland, uh, with six uh, regional offices. Uh, in various regions of uh, the world. Uh, Pan-American Health Organization has its regional office in Washington, D.C. Uh, European office, uh, European regional office is in Copenhagen in Denmark and so on. So uh, the budget of this entire uh, uh, thing is uh, not uh, really uh, large as for such uh, organization. It's around uh, $4 billion dollars uh, Per biennium, so it's two billion per year. Uh, so it could probably serve a few big hospitals uh, to uh, with, with this budget, and not only the uh, global uh, global organization covering uh, all world. The contributions uh, to the budget of WHO come uh, from member states. Uh, the member states pay dues um, which are agreed according to to the to the national budget of the country. There is a special assessment scale. Uh, so the countries pay their annual fees to the organization. Uh, but this covers uh, something like 20-25% of, uh, of the budget. The rest uh, of the budget comes uh, also from the member states, but in the form of voluntary contributions, uh, not assessed contributions. I see. This, uh, what, uh, I mean, you're with the Bonn office, and that's the European Center for Environment and Health. What are your responsibilities there as the head of that office, and why was that particular city chosen? Uh, well, the, the, the first, uh, what is the European Center for Environment and Health? It has been cre created 20 years ago uh, by European member states uh, to provide technical support to the European environment and health process, a set of programs and actions uh, or implementing uh, European countries' policies to improve environment uh, for health. So it, it's a broad uh, range of programs which are working on, on the subject uh, in Bonn and in Rome offices. Uh, here in Bonn, we, uh, we work on uh, things like uh, air quality in relation to health, housing and health, uh, information system uh, uh, related to environment and health, occupational health, chemical safety, noise, uh, some, some various factors which uh, affect living and uh, working environment. Uh, well, my duty as the head of the office is to make sure that this uh, office is functioning, that has enough funds, uh, resources in terms of the, men, uh, of, the, of the people, and that the products which are, we are producing are of sufficient uh, quality, uh, which uh, can be useful for the member states to, to, to use. Okay. Cliff? Uh, sure. Um, Mikhail, how does the World Health Organization 
decide what issues should be focused on? Well, it's, it's pretty complicated uh, mechanism. Uh, we have, uh, first of all, the, the member states or ministries of health uh, who decide on the program of work. We have six years uh, a strategic plan of action. Um, one of the strategic directions, uh, one of 11 strategic directions which are decided by the member states are actions related to environment and health. Um, the, the process of agreeing on those uh, uh, of those strategic direct, uh, directions is, is pretty complex. Um, uh, consultations with the countries, uh, consultations with uh, other organizations uh, in the UN, and deciding what uh, should be done by whom. This is about the big titles, let's say. And then when it comes to to smaller activities, the uh, outputs, uh, things which uh, are to be delivered to implement uh, the, uh, the the big program of work, it's again a consultation with the countries uh, on various levels, ministerial level, uh, but also technical level with uh, scientists, with experts, with public health people who identify those topics which are which have to be done on international level have to be done with the help of WHO well as you pointed out environment and health is a very big obviously a big subject and there's a lot of things within the environment and health that you could focus on and we focus a lot on indoor air quality and I'm just curious within the environment and health focus at World Health Organization, how big is the indoor air quality component? Is it a, a big part of the environment and health section, or is it a small part? Well, it's, it's difficult to measure okay. <laughs> in terms of the budget or, 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 or manpower. It's one of many, so it's certainly not the main subject. Uh, we do have, even uh, if we talk about the uh, air quality per se, uh, per se we, we also spend a lot of time on uh, ambient air pollution, outer air pollution, creating the guidelines and and uh, and things like this. Uh, from the point of view of the burden of disease, uh, which is to some extent determining uh, the work, uh, indoor air quality, especially in the developing countries, is a big problem. So certainly there is uh, a special attention paid to the indoor quality, especially in developing countries where the burden of disease uh, due to the uh, household fuel combustion uh, and exposure of uh, people to the emissions from the uh, solid fuels uh, com uh, combustion indoor is a, is a huge problem and and still a unresolved problem so from this perspective it is a serious uh, a subject it is connected to other environmental subjects outdoor air pollution sustainability a climate change and impact of the uh, of the climate change on health so it's not uh, just a separate area of of work it, it is uh, connected to other uh, aspects of uh, of health, basically, not only environmental health, but uh, sustainability and, and health. I think that explains it well. Cliff, did you want me to go forward here? And then we wanted to talk a little bit about the dampness and mold 
document that the World Health Organization put out, I, I believe it was last year, it was uh, part of the indoor air quality work that, that you're doing. Dampness and mold was a uh, big issue here in the United States and, of course, uh, worldwide. What led to the World Health Organization deciding to focus on doing a report on dampness and mold? Well, uh, with the entire indoor quality guidelines, uh, uh, the, we consider it as uh, we, I mean uh, WHO, but also the experts who work with WHO, we consider it as a rather difficult issue to tackle. Uh, it's uh, more difficult than uh, uh, guidelines on, on, on ambient air quality, mostly from uh, the point of view of, of application, uh, of uh, application in standards development and things like this. So we were waiting uh, relatively long with developing indoor quality guidelines. And when we finally were pushed uh, by the experts and member states uh, to work on the indoor quality guidelines, we convened a planning meeting to tell us how to do it properly because the, the area is, is vast. With, with various uh, types of factors, with various pollutants. And we are aware of a important uh, problem uh, uh, of uh, the uh, biological air pollutants of indoor air. Um, and in this planning meeting in 2006, uh, the discussion turned to the possibility of addressing dampness and mold as a uh, determinant of biological air pollutants. And actually it was quite a fortunate uh, decision because it, it enabled us to tackle the, the determinant of indoor air pollution and of health effects uh, related to a vast uh, uh, range of, of uh, biological factors, biological contaminants of indoor air, which are related to dampness. So th that's why we, we took uh, dampness and mold as uh, basically the umbrella subject over the all most not all most of the biological contaminants of uh, indoor air so when you started looking at the indoor air quality guidelines was this back in i think you mentioned 2006 around then uh, yes with with a specific view on the uh, indoor air quality guidelines uh, that was the organized, uh, let's say, efforts uh, to start uh, doing this. Of course, WHO was working on indoor air quality guidelines, uh, on indoor air quality, exposure indoors, and so on, uh, w well before. I mean, uh, but but not uh, taking the challenge of specific uh, guidelines, except maybe some work on uh, environmental tobacco smoke, which was already dealt with uh, in the late 90s, where the guidelines on indoor air were created, and radon were addressed. Uh, uh, radon and uh, man-made uh, mineral fibers, which were also considered to be uh, indoor air pollutant. But uh, in broader sense, uh, the, the guidelines for uh, specific guidelines for indoor air quality uh, work started in 2006. So there are, I, I, I was looking through the website, and I thought there were some earlier indoor air quality related issues, and I, I did not find them. So there was a, a, a guideline on environmental tobacco smoke, or were there just research papers on that? Or is there a guideline on ETS that I should be looking for? 
No, there, there is a guidelines or uh, there are guidelines specific to environmental tobacco smoke, oh. and now we tend to call it uh, secondhand uh, smoke. Uh, uh, but uh, in 2000, uh, in the year 2000, uh, WHO uh, air quality guidelines for Europe have a chapter on uh, environmental tobacco smoke. Uh, concluding, by the way, that uh, no level of exposure to ETS uh, is recommended. I mean, it's the other way around. Uh, we recommend no exposure to ETS uh, because uh, ETS is harmful on uh, all levels of, of exposures. Uh, and then, uh, in a way, the, 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 the guideline was uh, superseded by a much stronger WHO instrument, one of very few legally binding documents of WHO, the Framework Convention on Tobacco uh, Control, which includes uh, elimination of tobacco smoke uh, from all uh, spaces, as uh, public spaces, uh, and uh, elimination of uh, exposure to uh, ETS as one of the provisions of the convention. Uh, so it's uh, already, uh, let's say, in, in, in a legally binding uh, document. Uh, uh, with uh, uh, even more parties uh, than uh, members of uh, WHO, more parties in terms of countries uh, adopting the Framework Convention. Now, were the, the radon and the man-made mineral fibers also a part of those air quality guidelines for Europe, or are, the, are those a separate document? No, these are also two chapters um, in uh, air quality guidelines for Europe. Okay. Uh, published in 2000. And uh, what, do you know off the? I know we didn't prep early, beforehand for this. Do you know off the top of your head what other subjects are covered in that air quality guidelines for Europe? Well, uh, there is total of uh, 37 uh, pollutants uh, or compounds and, and 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 other pollutants covered. Is uh, the uh, three uh, indoor. Specific pollutants uh, we mentioned are included in those 37. So, uh, yeah, there is quite a, a long list of uh, substances uh, covered by those uh, uh, air quality guidelines for Europe. Okay, great. Thank you for that. Now, let's go back to the dampness and mold document. In your opinion, what's the significance of that particular report? Well, I think it is bringing um, this subject to the white audience for the first time uh, in a comprehensive way, because, of course, there were plenty of papers uh, looking at uh, various uh, health impacts of molds or various molds or various uh, biological pollutants. But I think uh, there was also very... Uh, important uh, publication of Institute of Medicine, uh, U.S. Institute of Medicine analysis of uh, health effects of uh, damp uh, indoor uh, spaces. But on the global level, uh, we were not uh, able to, to identify uh, another work or another uh, systematic review of the health effects uh, of uh, dampness and mold. And uh, I think it is important. it was important to put this subject uh, as a relatively simple way, uh, identifying uh, quite a broad range of uh, 
factors which uh, affect health uh, in quite significant way and which uh, could, uh, by, by elimination of uh, exposure, could also contribute uh, quite significantly to the disease prevention. So uh, I think there's uh, quite a uh, quite significant uh, piece of work. I agree. Cliff, were there any findings that personally surprised you in the report? <laughs> you, 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 you would say uh, the guidelines work is, is, is boring. It's, well, because it's uh, looking at the accumulated body of evidence. So it's not uh, a kind of a research study where we are going into uncharted territory. Actually, the, the better charted the territory uh, is, the, the more uh, solid uh, the guidelines are. So in terms of the surprises, I don't think there were real, real surprises. The, the one which you could name a surprise was the simplicity of, of the recommendations. I mean, uh, you, you, you may even say they are simplistic recommendations, but actually these are those which, uh, which work. I'm just eliminate dampness, and and if you don't, uh, if you if you prevent the dampness or eliminate the dampness uh, from home, you are actually addressing whole range of uh, risk factors. Can you go into a little bit of what the other risk factors are associated with dampness, just so our listeners have a, a better understanding of what other issues are within that research or that that paper. Well, uh, the dampness is, is a very strong determinant of uh, micro, uh, microbial growth um, in uh, indoors. So we have a, a we have broad range of molds which are dependent on uh, dampness. On uh, they they grow on various materials with different. Uh, uh, speed or, or uh, vigility, but uh, still uh, uh, dampness is, uh, moisture is, is the main uh, determinant of this. Uh, we have um, uh, the various uh, microbial uh, growth uh, facilitated by dampness uh, or, or making made possible by dampness. Um, we have, uh, the, and these uh, microbes uh, are uh, emitting uh, various spores, cell fragments, uh, allergens, mycotoxins, endotoxins, beta-glucans, or even chemicals, volatile organic compounds, uh, which uh, then in turn are, are affecting health. So I don't think we counted number of uh, individual uh, species or, or individual uh, chemicals, which might be related to dampness, but uh, the fact is that they are numerous. Uh, they grow in intensity when you have uh, dampness, and uh, uh, the, the, so, so it, it are many mechanisms which can lead to the, uh, to the health effects. Um, and the, the trick was to, 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 to address the determinant of all of this. What, I'm curious, as with respect to dampness, how common is the problem of dampness worldwide, and is it worse in some areas than in others? Uh, first, it is a common uh, 
problem. In, we, in European Union countries, for which we have relatively good and comparable data, the average uh, number is uh, between, if I remember, between 15 and 18 percent of population being exposed uh, or living in houses with dampness. And this is varying between the countries from uh, around 5% to up to 40% or 35% in some European countries as national average. And the problem is that, uh, as you can imagine, uh, this uh, exposure is not uniformly distributed within the countries, within the population. We have information, uh, we have data showing that a poorer part of the society is uh, significantly more often uh, exposed to dampness, independently of the of the country. So, so there is certainly big uh, inequality within uh, countries uh, in terms of exposure. So, so of course, are uh, I would say geographical or topographical uh, determinants of dampness. Uh, you find it much more often in. Uh, valleys in uh, on the sea coast uh, in places which are damp per, per se so uh, the, the geography and uh, natural conditions are also uh, increasing the risk or decreasing the risk uh, of, of dampness Cliff? Uh, thanks Joe. Doctor, do, do we know for certain that mold is the biggest contributor to health issues in damp buildings? Uh, well, we, it's difficult to answer this question. Uh, the, the, if you are talking about, it is a serious contributor to uh, risk of asthma, for instance, or respiratory problems. But of course, in damp uh, buildings, uh, there are people with uh, numerous other uh, risk factors and uh, exposed to other risk factors. Um, I, I mean, to put to put things in perspective, uh, we of course uh, put uh, environmental tobacco smoke as the first uh, risk, uh, the most important risk factor. Uh, in indoor environment. So before we eliminate environmental tobacco smoke, it's actually, it makes uh, little sense to, to go uh, deeper into uh, analyzing the other constituents uh, of the indoor pollution. But assuming, and this is fortunately the, the, the case in most, well, in a large part, not, not in the most, but in a large part of the world, we, we are decreasing the, the, the exposure to ETS. Uh, so in those places where it is, uh, is uh, out uh, and in those places where we don't face uh, the products of combustion, indoor combustion, then I think dampness comes uh, as, the, as the third uh, uh, as important uh, determinant of health. You know, Doctor, this is an observation, but having been in Europe uh, a couple of times, both on, on business and on pleasure, it seems to me that many more people in Europe smoke than in the United States. And um, it would seem that it would be more difficult to get um, a common agreement that too many people are smoking and that we shouldn't be smoking indoors and to actually, you know, be able to get legislation to inhibit that. Could you just... Well, 
this this progressing i mean i if you if you compare situation even from five years ago and to the present situation uh, there is improvement uh, certainly in legislation to some extent due to this uh, who framework convention on tobacco control uh, which is forcing countries to uh, to increase availability of the smoke free places so one country after the other uh, are announcing uh, smoke-free uh, places uh, like res- public buildings, uh, restaurants, uh, places where uh, people are. So, so it is progressing, but it is a struggle. And uh, in each new country uh, where this uh, new legislation is being uh, introduced, not proposed by by, by introduced. There is a movement to uh, to oppose uh, to uh, con- uh, to to counter uh, act uh, this uh, new legislation, even though we already have um, evidence about beneficial uh, impacts of those uh, smoking bans uh, on health. Um, and in many countries, it works very well and very quickly. Uh, we have I, I mean the Ireland was the first uh, back uh, eight years ago, I guess, and Italy came with uh, one month to the other introduction of the smoking ban and then people are happy with it uh, so so I think it it's slowly but but slowly we are get, getting forward, not in all countries is true but but uh, the progress is there. Okay, we're going to stop quickly, briefly, to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right, our association sponsors are the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com. The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental and consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon, J-O-N-D-O-N, dot com. And, of course, Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfactswithanx.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IQ Radio when you inquire about their products mm. and services. All right, we're back with the second half of our interview with Dr. Mikhail Kurzanovsky of the World Health Organization's Bonn office. Uh, Dr. Kurzanovsky, I wanted to finish up the mold and dampness report by just asking if you would kind of summarize for our listeners what the health effects 
of dampness are with respect to um, the research, the report findings, and maybe we could start with those things that we're very confident are the results of dampness with respect to health effects, and then kind of work our way down and uh, give us an overview of the findings. Yes, the the most important uh, part of the review was to agree on the uh, strength of the evidence coming from uh, science, uh, coming from various studies on the link between dampness and mold and various uh, health uh, problems, uh, diseases and symptoms. Um, and the, the report, or this, uh, not report, the, the review which um, preceded the preparation of the uh, report concluded that we had sufficient scientific evidence uh, that uh, the uh, uh, sufficient scientific evidence on uh, an association uh, of dampness and mold with asthma, exacerbation, upper respiratory symptoms, uh, cough, wheeze, uh, this kind of uh, problems. We also have a less uh, well-established uh, association with asthma development. More studies are needed to improve the quality of this uh, information or this evidence and on uh, dyspnea prevalence uh, where we need to have more studies. Uh, we also have some uh, uh, other symptoms for which uh, there are suspicions uh, of uh, association but for which evidence is not uh, strong enough. For those uh, for which evidence is sufficient, uh, like uh, upper respiratory symptoms or asthma, uh, we also uh, have a quantitative estimate of risk, and uh, these estimates uh, show that um, at least 50% uh, increase in risk is associated with, uh, with living in damp uh, environment in, in damp uh, housing, which is quite uh, strong as for environmental risks. It is. And I'm, I'm curious from here, what happens from here? Does the World Health Organization plan to do any further work in this area? Well, we, we did already do some work. Uh, we tried to package this information in the form of uh, uh, information to the public to other stakeholders we try to publicize uh, the, the information about uh, the risks on one hand but also on effective actions we uh, had a project reviewing the interventions uh, uh, addressing uh, addressing dampness and mold and uh, we try to evaluate the health impacts of those interventions and based on this uh, we produced uh, leaflet and information to the public, uh, to NGOs, to, uh, to, 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 let's say, not necessarily specialized audience uh, to uh, indicate uh, how much it is, uh, how much responsibility uh, for prevention of uh, health, outcome, uh, health uh, effects of dampness and mold are in uh, the hands of uh, building users, uh, occupants, uh, building owners. Uh, and of course, there is, uh, is 
specific uh, responsibility of the designers of buildings, uh, the constructors, uh, building industry. And we also uh, try to establish uh, links and then uh, with, uh, with the industry, which is actually uh, creating the spaces, creating buildings, uh, and, and trying to bring to their attention uh, the health aspects of uh, malt and dampness. So uh, I think it is uh, implementation of the guidelines is something which uh, we are working and, and will be working on. Now, when you say interventions, did you differentiate between just stopping the dampness and stopping the dampness and cleaning up any remaining biological contamination? Uh, well, the, the, the first thing, as the guidelines say, is to prevent the dampness. Yeah? The, the, the good construction and good maintenance should prevent dampness. So cleaning it is, is secondary. Of course, then comes the... If, if we have dampness and we have mold growth, it has to be cleaned, it has to, has to be uh, removed. And, and of course, the methods, uh, practical methods of, uh, of doing it uh, are various. Uh, they need to take into account uh, also possible uh, competing risk uh, if we are using some chemicals, sometimes of unknown uh, impacts on health, uh, then it's, uh, it's something which has to be considered case, case by case. But uh, the bottom line is uh, that, uh, again, after removal of the, of the dampness uh, or the removal of the, uh, of the uh, mold um, from, the, from the house, we need to assure that uh, the dump situation will not repeat because, of course, uh, the growth of uh, mold and, and microbial growth will return uh, and, and the cleaning <laughs> will need to be uh, repeated and of course uh, the prevention of health uh, problems is not completed okay now let's we'd like to move to another document the world health organization's guidelines for indoor air quality selected pollutants and this covers i think it's nine it's a benzene carbon monoxide formaldehyde naphthalene uh, nitrous dioxide uh, pahs radon trichloroethylenes and tetrachloroethylene. Um, I'm curious, can you tell our listeners a little bit about that document, when it came out, and how the authors chose which, what pollutants to focus on? Now this, this has been published not long ago, half a year ago, as, as a book after almost two years' process of, of development of the guidelines, a review of evidence, discussion on the evidence, and formulating the, the guidelines. The authors actually have not, of, of, of the review, the 50-something experts participating in the development of those guidelines, have not themselves formulated the list of those pollutants. The list was actually set by this planning meeting in 2006, which I have already mentioned, when another group of experts from all over the world was reflecting on where we actually have enough evidence on pollutants of significance to health, 
uh, with with significant exposures uh, in do, in indoor specifically in indoor uh, spaces uh, and uh, which which uh, could be evaluated uh, in for which the uh, uh, Synthesis of, of evidence would uh, uh, result in guidelines uh, creation. So this list of nine pollutants are actually the low-hanging uh, fruits uh, in the mass of uh, pollutants, uh, uh, which are mass of chemical uh, substances, uh, which can be found in the indoor spaces. There is another list of a longer list uh, of uh, chemicals. Uh, which were identified as potentially of uh, concern or of interest uh, for indoor quality. But uh, at the time of the meeting in 2006, uh, the, the group was not certain, not confident enough uh, concerning the, the evidence availability to say to WHO, go ahead and uh, do guidelines on, uh, on those pollutants. So this list is rather limited. I should mention that uh, on top of the of those uh, nine uh, substances which we have uh, in the book on selected pollutants, we do have uh, guidelines on particulate matter indoors, uh, because the the other vo another volume uh, of uh, WHO guidelines on air quality uh, is. Uh, extensively discussing uh, particulate matter and actually discussing it in the context of various uh, microenvironments, including indoor air. So uh, we, we insist uh, on uh, adding particulate matter PM10 and PM2.5 to, uh, to the pollutants, uh, specific pollutants, uh, uh, which can be uh, found in uh, indoor air for which we have WHO guidelines. Cliff? Oh, yes, doctor. What are, you, what are your thoughts on the importance of the guidelines? Well, I, as a person responsible for the guidelines, I should say they are absolutely essential and important. So that's what I say, okay. of course. <laughs> but this is just the, the, the first step in the process of uh, addressing the risks uh, people face in uh, in their environment. It's like telling, uh, making a statement, well, we know enough about this pollutant or we know enough about this subject in terms of the health effects. We know that this health effect. Don't continue discussion if and, and when, but let's go ahead and uh, eliminate this hazard. Or this risk, actually, if we if we face a risk of uh, elevated uh, levels uh, above the guideline uh, levels of the pollution, so I think it is important uh, uh, kind of a, a decision point uh, to do something if we measure this particular pollutant. From this point of view, I believe the guidelines are making a big difference uh, because they determine. A certain indicator on which, uh, in terms of uh, quantity, quality and also quantity, on which we say uh, action has to be taken. So, with, with this was a large document. I, I don't remember how many pages. But I want to say four or five hundred pages, uh, Doctor. And and I'm curious, within this document, 
our listeners, a lot of our listeners are indoor air quality investigators, and we also have some indoor air quality remediators. Are there any specific areas of the document that you would suggest they focus on? Uh, well, uh, for the people who don't have uh, time or energy or interest in reading 500 pages uh, dense text, I, I admit it's not a novel. It's it's not meant to be a novel. Uh, there is executive summary, which can be read uh, pretty quickly. I mean, it's, uh, I know, nine, nine pages, uh, uh, half page per pollutant. Uh, so this executive summary, which uh, is a capsule, let's say the minimal capsule uh, with the guidelines. Uh, for somebody who wants to ask, uh, who asks question, okay, how, uh, what is the basis of those guidelines? Each of the chapters has a couple of pages summary of of health risk evaluation, and this, uh, this let's say, the, the condensed uh, scientific uh, ev- evalu- condensed evaluation of scientific evidence on health aspects of this particular air pollutant and this probably the second after the guidelines to be read by a little bit more interested audience for those who want to combine this information about health hazards and get a broader perspective a little bit broader perspective on on the risks uh, we are facing, there is a section in each of the chapters about the levels of exposures. So uh, presenting the, the significance of uh, each pollutant uh, in indoor spaces, in houses, or in various types of buildings, uh, showing what levels we normally experience or, or what level have been measured in studies all over the world. Uh, so I think in in uh, the sequence uh, uh, is, comes uh, let's say importance of selective uh, reading uh, of the of this document. But of course, for 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 the for the audience uh, for this audience which wants to know what is the full uh, documentation, what are the studies, what the individual studies found. Well, I have no other advise and go ahead and read at least uh, the, the chapters. Um, well, some others will want to jump into individual studies which are quoted, which are hundreds of studies uh, quoted and uh, summarized in this document. Some people will want to look at the references and, and look in the individual uh, studies. Okay, we, we've got a couple text questions that I want to uh get to the doctor in a moment. Before we do, I, I want to uh, finish this section and then we, we'll go to our roundup as well. But after this report here, doctor, what other pollutants do you expect will be next or what other projects are in the pipeline for future World Health Organization publications? Well, the next one, which we fortunately started after some troubles with <laughs> fundraising, but uh, we we did start the work on the household fuel combustion. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, there is a, a source of the actually the, the biggest after t- environmental tobacco smoke is the biggest uh, indoor problem uh, in the world. M- mostly, mostly in uh, developing countries, using uh, solid fuels. Uh, 
uh, indoor uh, to cook and 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 uh, to generate uh, heat. Uh, but not exclusively in uh, developing countries. We are using quite often uh, uh, stoves or, or, or uh, open fires uh, in fireplaces in uh, uh, developed countries uh, and, and enjoying the, the view of the flames. We sometimes, if the, in some conditions, we are polluting the indoor air with uh, through the combustion of uh, fuels. Uh, this is a big problem uh, which uh, faces not only the scientific challenges of the assessment but also practical uh, problems um, because uh, those uh, risks are uh, prevalent or, or uh, abundant in countries which have very little resources to, uh, to replace uh, fuels. Uh, with uh, biofuels or, or solid fuels with uh, cleaner alternatives or uh, they have very little resources to use, to, to, to replace uh, their open primitive fire, fireplaces with uh, cleaner stoves. But um, in the various contexts uh, related to uh, starting with uh, sustainable development uh, context or with uh, energy efficiency context or climate change uh, prevention and mitigation uh, context. I think there is a good uh, political uh, con uh, atmosphere to address uh, this uh, very prominent uh, uh, risk factor. So the next uh, volume will be on household uh, fuel combustion. I've got a quick text question. Do you have any studies to evaluate multiple chemical exposures, either concurrent or consecutive? Uh, there are studies which are looking in, uh, looking at a at, at, uh, combination of uh, pollutants uh, in the air. Uh, I always insist uh, in, in telling that uh, what we are studying uh, in terms of the exposure to particulate matter uh, is actually looking at multiple pollutants, uh, particulate matters, uh, matter measured as uh, uh, mass concentration is, is a combination of chemicals and physical properties uh, put together and uh, affecting uh, health. And uh, we are struggling with this uh, for the last uh, at least 15 years to try to understand which of the components or which combination of components uh, or uh, characteristics is is responsible for health effects, and uh, actually we, we have problem with answering uh, with this, uh, to this question. So uh, the multiple chemical sensitivity, as sometimes is, is named or presented, is uh, on the agenda, research agenda for the for a long time. Um, we we have not uh, addressed it uh, directly in, in WHO, looking at the combination of chemicals in, uh, in uh, promoting health effects. Uh, it is uh, always a suspicion that the com combination may be more uh, dangerous than uh, the sum of uh, individual pollutants. Uh, but in, instead of going into, the, into, into characterizing this, this uh, chemical mix, we go to the determinants of this uh, chemical mix. For instance, looking at the combustion of fuels uh, indoor, we, we know that we are addressing multiple chemical exposures. 
because uh, the fumes are actually a combination of pHs, uh, which by definition is combination of pollutants. We are addressing particles, we are addressing uh, carbon monoxide. So, so there is a whole a group of uh, chemicals uh, which are addressed by looking at the process generating the pollution to the indoor uh, space. All right. Let's go to our roundup, and uh, we're going to ask one last question, and then we'll have to wrap things up. Uh, we may go over a couple of minutes. Do you have to run off, or can you stick around with us for a couple more minutes? A couple, a couple of more minutes, yes. Okay. Thank you. Okay, let's get Dr. Wow. Uh-oh, we've got a little technical problem here. We can't unmute our guests. There we go. There's Dr. Uh -oh. Wow, and now we've got we've got you both back. Okay. Okay, I heard Beethoven, so I know I'm on. <laughs> You're on. <laughs> Good day, Dr. Dietrich Wow. How are you, sir? I'm just fine, yeah. Uh, Any... Very, very interesting, uh, Dr. Krasanovsky, um, to see the efforts that are going on someplace else. Of course, I'm now after I'm living 50 years in the United States, I really, yeah, I don't know exactly what is going on in, in, in Europe, but that doesn't matter. But I think there are a couple, I have perhaps one question and a couple of comments. Do we use good epidemiological studies, and I know you're also an epidemiologist, to set priorities for certain things? And we don't have to answer that one right now. But I have a, a couple of other. I think there were uh, several issues which are, uh, I, I think, very important for public health or whatever you want to call it, general health. I don't think we will ever find uh, wet environments which are good uh, for people in which to live for uh, certainly 24 hours a day. That's awful. Uh, the other thing is, which is interesting, we kind of took care of environmental tobacco smoke. And that is relatively easy to control. And I remember there was a problem in Ireland. All the bar owners the pub owners, I guess they call them over there, said, when we ban smoking, we're going to go all bankrupt. Just the opposite happened. When they um, did not allow any smoking in public places, including the bars where you buy your beer and your drinks, the business went up, which is absolutely incredible. And there is a parallel to that in the United States. I think it was Northwest Airlines, which was the first company which prohibited smoking on airplanes. And everybody says, they are going to go bankrupt. Nobody is ever going to fly with them. Well, that prediction did not come to. And here is another thing that interests me. I studied 
for my whole professional life particulate matter. And that is still an interesting thing. And um, uh, Dr. Krasinovsky mentioned that with that particulate matter. Why is particulate matter so important when it enters the human lung? And the problem, I think, is there, particulate versus vapors. Vapors are nicely, evenly distributed throughout the lung. Particulate matter is a particle that lands somewhere uh, on the tissue of the lung, whether it's in the alveoli or uh, certainly further up. It doesn't matter. But there is a focus. There is a particulate there is something that can happen. And the other thing is, which, and I have friends in Ghana, um, they by and large do cooking outdoors, but there are rainy seasons and they go indoors. And I told them, I said, yeah, when I do something in my house, I turn on the city gas. And they, they wrote me back and said, what is city gas? <laughs> <laughs> they had never seen or heard of that in their whole they use charcoal, and I think that that is a huge problem, as it was mentioned by uh, Dr. Krasanovsky, as it was mentioned, um, because these people have to live. They have to, fortunately, they have to cook it uh, to kill bacteria and whatever else. So that isn't, an, and who knows what they are using for firewood or for it's not even wood. Uh, there are certain areas where they use uh, droppings from camels uh, uh, to make their food. So I think we touched on at least five or six major areas which have a very profound effect on human health in general and in particular. Whew, I better shut up. <laughs> well, thank you. Oh, as always, Dr. Wow, we appreciate your, your comments, and I want to turn it over. Dr. Kurzanowski, is there anything you'd like to add to what Dr. Wow said, or would you like to uh, follow up on the epidemiology question? Yeah, first comment about the comments. I, I can't uh, agree more about the impact of uh, indoor combustion of fuels and, and also ap appreciating that for many people in the world, and probably majority of people in the world, there is a necessity of life. I mean, they, they have to cook and they uh, and heat their 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 houses inside the question is how they do it and there are alternatives and um, the this this part of the work of who uh, on those guidelines on uh, household fuel combustion to to identify those uh, alternatives uh, and to uh, to propagate them in the world, uh, not by WHO, but but uh, other organizations and uh, people uh, living there. Uh, so this this one thing, and we 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 even have estimates of health impacts. We estimate with rather conservative way that two million people a year die prematurely because of those exposures uh, related to. Uh, uh, to indoor combustion of uh, solid fuel. 
Second uh, comment on the comment about uh, elimination of tobacco smoke. Uh, indeed, I mean, uh, each time when the country uh, is pushing uh, for uh, this new legislation, there are enormous uh, there is enormous opposition and and uh, go, uh, predictions of cata- uh, economical catastrophe for this or that sector, which are proven systematically, country by country, proven to be false and and negative, as as Dr. Walsh mentioned. Well, about the good epidemiology studies, uh, the what what uh, guidelines are doing. Are looking at uh, are, the guidelines are based on so-called systematic uh, review of the evidence. We try to uh, identify all studies uh, done on the subject. We try to evaluate each of the studies, epidemiological or toxicological study, from the point of view of quality and errors and uh, po- po- possible biases. And we try to uh, eliminate uh, those studies where we know that there is a bias, uh, and which could be called bad epidemiology. But uh, the point is, we look at all kinds of studies, positive and and especially negative studies, uh, because uh, there is a variability and there is uh, sometimes a finding of a positive association made by chance. And, and by the way, such positive studies, sometimes accidental studies, uh, tend to be more often published than those studies which are negative. Uh, but the task of the guidelines is exactly to look at all possible biases, including publication bias, and to identify the, as much as possible the real uh, strength of the association, uh, the, what science tells uh, about a certain uh, factor. Uh, of course, very often it is uh, one or, or a small set of perfect studies which give us much more knowledge that 100 studies which are less good. And uh, yes, uh, I I think each epidemiologist is born uh, with the idea of being an author of such a perfect study. Not everybody is uh, lucky enough to to publish such a perfect study. But of course, we we should strive into this kind of perfect epidemiology and perfect toxicology. And it's important also to to stress that uh, it's not one method. It's not one study. It's a combination of methods uh, which uh, elucidate um, the impact of air pollution or indoor air pollutants uh, on uh, on health. Just last uh, point related to Dr. Walsh's uh, comment. Uh, we know now that particulate matter is so... Uh, uh, hazardous to health, not only because of the impact on, on lung, on the respiratory system, which was the idea, I would say, 15 years ago. We are learning more and more about penetration of small particles, uh, ultrafine particles, or those who are, which are less than uh, one micrometers uh, of diameter, deeper into the body. They penetrate the barrier between blood and, uh, and air, go with the uh, blood to all parts of uh, all systems of uh, of the body and they start up uh, various uh, health processes uh, which uh, are affecting uh, 
more organs than than respiratory system, and more systems than respiratory one. So uh, we are facing uh, uh, quite uh, a complicated uh, situation where uh, the organ which is affected is not an organ where the actually exposure is occurring. Uh, but uh, something which is also uh, affecting uh, entire body or selected uh, systems uh, in the body. You know, before we go, we've got uh, one one listener who sent me some questions. I just wanted to see if I could get one quick uh, comment on how can we get this excellent research that's going on. How can we do a better job of getting that research into the hands of the practitioners out there and the general public um, so that, you know, we can take this research and put it into practice? That's a good question. <laughs> I think the, uh, well, certainly the communication uh, is, is an important uh, part of it, communication and education, and especially in matters uh, like indoor air quality, which cannot be tackled entirely by the uh, governmental agencies or, or uh, regulations and so on. It is important that uh, such uh, simple messages about prevention of exposure or prevention of mold and, and, and dampness, uh, they are very important uh, things uh, for health. Uh, of, of each individual or health of children, for instance, we tend to care more for children than for ourselves. So, so it is it is certainly a matter of education or spreading the information. And and sometimes we are comparing uh, public health or effectiveness of public health communication with effectiveness of uh, marketing of various products, uh, not necessarily very healthy products. We are in the stone age of, of marketing, I'm afraid. Well, in, in public health, in public health, uh, while we are advanced in uh, other areas of uh, life. Maybe we need to learn a little bit more from those other areas about how to promote the public health issues. Would be good to learn. Yes, it would. And we appreciate you helping us learn more and educate our listeners more. I want to thank our, our guest for today, Dr. Mikhail Krasinowski, for joining us from Bonn. I know it's late there. We want to let you get to um, your evening uh, uh, activities, whatever they may be. And thanks for joining us. I hope we can talk again down the road. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. This is uh, Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks again to today's guest, uh, Dr. Mikhail Krasinowski, for joining us. I also want to thank, of course, my uh, co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick, uh, Dr. Dietrich Wow, our technical director for joining us at the controls, our, our engineer, Stone Cold, Austin Novak, uh, most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us again next Friday at noon for the next edition of IAQ Radio. Don't
This has been another IAQ Radio production.